Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? It's good to be with you. Uh, I am DJ Smith, as you may have heard, and uh, it's just exciting to be a part of what God is doing here at Jubilee Fellowship Church. It's a privilege to be with you uh, this weekend as part of our You Asked For It series, um, where we're trying to tackle some of the questions that you have sent in. And uh, before we get into that, I want to make sure we welcome all of our campuses, uh, everybody listening online, those via live stream, those listening later on in the week via podcast. It's good to have you with us as we open God's Word uh, together. So um, it is, uh, this weekend's topic is legalized. Uh, How should the church navigate the changing regulations regarding marijuana? And uh, instantly, uh, I think a couple of things need to be answered. One is, how did I end up teaching this message? Uh, All I remember is I was on vacation in Scottsdale um, when when the teaching team got together and I got a phone call basically with two options, one of which I had already preached on three years ago. So, uh, but here's the deal. I think there's kind of two two different camps or two different sort of schools of thought when it comes to why DJ is teaching on marijuana. Um, On the one hand are those who have heard me, whether it be in the teaching team meetings or outside of them, and heard some of the things I say, some of the comments I make, and think that probably I have the most experience with marijuana. Um, Then there's the other camp, advocated, strangely enough, by our own pastor, Dan DeMay, my good friend. And he was like, no, you talk so fast that nobody could possibly ever believe you have ever used marijuana, and therefore, your mind is pure, and you have this objective view from the outside in. So I'm not sure exactly, I'm not going to tell you which one is true. But here we are, and uh, it is my privilege to share with you regarding uh, this topic. And I think it is an important topic, and here's the deal, Uh, not so much how I ended up with this. This topic, but why I'm excited about it is because I believe this, that by studying what God's word says about a topic like marijuana, which is not implicitly found in scripture, uh, I believe it teaches us and it trains us how to think biblically or how to think like Jesus thinks about a number of areas in our lives that also are not found. Do you agree that a lot of stuff that we face isn't explicitly found? Like, should I go see, you know, the last of the Mohicans in the theater? Hmm. You know, it's like, it's not in there. You know, good luck finding it. Uh, There's a lot of things like that in our lives that are probably not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but that God definitely has an opinion about and directives for us. So I think as we look at this topic, it's going to actually help us all around. Does that sound good? Awesome. Uh, A couple of things. There is, it is a bit challenging to talk about this because obviously there's so many different angles we could go about this. And I've got, man, they even chopped this thing down. I got like 30 minutes, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I pretty much say my name, where I'm from, all my greetings and thank yous like at the Academy Awards and I'm pretty much done kind of thing. So, uh, but the point being, we don't have a lot of time to address all the different approaches that we could take. And so I've decided to make our focus based on some of the questions that came in, our focus this weekend is going to be, again, what a believer's stance should be regarding recreational marijuana, okay? What a believer's stance should be regarding recreational marijuana use. Here's what we're leaving for another day or another series or another, another time. That is, hey, things like medicinal marijuana use. I mean, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of information out there about seemingly very legitimate ways in which uh, marijuana is being used to bring relief to people, to bring aid when it comes to things like Alzheimer's disease, when it comes to uh, post-traumatic syndrome disorder, excuse me, when it comes to uh, even things like uh, epilepsy. Uh, there's been some, so all that to say, there's, there's 
more than 30 things that they've discovered. And we're not going to talk about that right now. Again, we can't approach this from all angles. So I encourage you, do your own research. Maybe there'll be a time when we can delve into that. But for this weekend, we're talking about recreational marijuana. Here is, oh, and also, I'll probably leave for another day, uh, politics in the Bible. Because you know as well as I that even if something is legal, it doesn't necessarily mean it's according to God's will, right? Yeah. Do you agree with that? Or just because something is not legal sometimes doesn't mean that it isn't God's will. I don't know about you, but I, my back, when I was growing up and I was a little kid, I got a little bit of uh, you know, loving discipline now and again. And I'm sure now they'd find some way to you know, probably sue my parents or something. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was always done in love. It was always done with my good in mind. But it was something where maybe there would be a difference of opinion between what God's word teaches about disciplining children and what perhaps in some cases the law might say. So those two things aren't always the same and aren't always exactly parallel. For the most part, I think in general, we'll find a lot of overlap. But um, so we're going to leave that topic and what we do with it and the constitutionality of it. And do we criminalize it or do we regulate it? And what's healthier and better and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I encourage you again, read God's word, form your own opinion about that, seek godly counsel on those areas. But I do believe this. I do believe the urgency of this message is that there is a generation out there and in here, in these walls, all of our campuses, that is crying out to hear the church's voice on this issue. When I was researching for this, one of the things that stood out was the fact that the church and church leaders have been strangely quiet when it comes to the topic of recreational marijuana. And you really have to kind of dig to find out people that are actually going on record, whether pro or against, but coming out with, hey, here's what I believe, here's what I believe Christians should do, or at least here's what I'm doing as a believer, as a Christ follower. And I believe that there's a generation of people that's saying, hey, I don't want to just hear what you were told in Sunday school 30 years ago. I don't want to hear just what your grandma and grandpa did. I want to know, what does the Bible say about it? What does God think about this? Why not? Or why do do it? And so I believe we have a unique opportunity to engage the world in a conversation that's really happening. Have you ever found sometimes we're answering questions that nobody's asking? As believers, you know, we're like, Jesus is the answer. They're like, I know, but I'm not really asking that question, you know, kind of thing. We need to be, I believe God wants us to be engaged in the world, in the conversations, in the discussions, in the things that are important to people, and bringing Jesus right into the middle of that. I think we've got a great opportunity, and if we will take the time to research this, I believe it's going to be beneficial to us and bring us great opportunities to see the life of Jesus poured into people. Okay, so here's what we want to do. I want to start with a couple of places that Christians hide and that I want to kind of call people. So if you happen to find yourself in one of these two little fortresses, let's call them, or shelters, I want to call you out so we can actually have a conversation. So the one place that people hide is Puritanism. And that is where, uh, hey, if it even sounds like fun, it's probably sin, so don't do it. <laughs> that's my paraphrase. I don't think that's in a textbook officially. But, but that's, you get it. That's kind of the idea of it even sounds like fun. If people are laughing, if people are enjoying themselves, then stay far away. Clear voice, because that's not God's will for our lives. Let us pray. So we don't want, if you're in that camp, and listen, I was kind of raised a little bit in some of that camp. I mean, man, when we uh, got our credentials as licensed ministers, we had to sign this thing where it's like, we shall not drink beer, we shall not drink wine. You know, had to write it out a hundred times on the chalkboard kind of thing, uh, nor, you know, uh, chew, nor go with girls who do, you know, kind of thing like that. <laughs> So it was kind of 
like that decision was made for us. You know what I'm saying? And so it's probably a little bit of that. And then, of course, I know there's a lot of people out there that are on a whole different camp, and that camp is partyism. It's not Puritanism. It's partyism. And that is, if it sounds too good to be true, let's do it. It's got to be done, right? <laughs> We're free in Christ. Let's go party. So um, here's the deal. Uh, those people have precedent in Scripture. There's a guy in Scripture, a little-known guy. His name is Solomon son of King David, who kind of grew up with privilege, grew up, you know, having resources and opportunities and all that kind of stuff, started out well, asked God when God appeared to him and said, hey, what do you want me to do for you? When he began his rule and his reign, and he started saying, God, I don't want riches, I don't want long life, I don't want all that, I want wisdom to guide your people, to live my life as a leader the way that would honor you. God, help me. And God said, wow, because you've asked for that, I'm actually going to give you all the riches, all the honor, all the long life, and the wisdom that you've asked for. But something happened along the way, and we find him later on in a little book of the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And he's talking about, wow, in chapter 2, he goes, man, I decided to seek out the meaning of life. And I decided to see what everybody's talking about and what all the, you know, hullabaloo is about. So I went out, man, and I, I built uh, temples, you know, and, and houses and temples, uh, 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 palaces for myself. And I uh, planted vineyards and orchards. And I had choirs. And I had harems. And I had wine. And I basically deprived myself of nothing that I wanted. Wow. Seems like... Partyism, don't you think? He literally says in chapter 2, verse 10, that he said no to nothing. He did not deprive himself of anything that his eyes desired. And we read a little bit later that when he had reached the conclusion, he says, man, it's meaningless, it's empty, it's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. Later on in that book, he says, man, serve God and, and obey his commandments while you are young because this is where the meaning of life comes from. This is the whole duty of man. And woman. So I want to encourage you. The answer is not found in any one of those extremes of Puritanism, stay away from me if you're doing sounds fun, or partyism, hey, let's do it. The answer, I believe, though, is found in Scripture. And even though we don't find, again, the word marijuana in Scripture or a specific chapter or book of the Bible devoted to it, I believe that there are some biblical uh, guidelines and definitely biblical considerations that God wants us to look at as we form an opinion. So I wanted to jump into those. And uh, the first one I wanted to give you, I'm going to give you six of them. The first one I wanted to give you is dare to enjoy God's gifts. Dare to enjoy God's gifts. If you're anything like me, somebody should have come to me about 30 years ago and said, dude, loosen up a little bit. It's okay. Get out there and enjoy God's creation a little bit. It's fine because there's been this mindset in I would say the church, some churches perhaps more than others, where it's like, let's look at the world with skepticism, with fear. I don't really want to go outside of my bedroom because what if I go to the bus station and somebody's smoking and I inhale and I'm guilty before God? Oh, I've been defiled. <laughs> Come on, lighten up. It's okay to have some fun. I'm not saying it's okay to smoke or it's okay to do anything else. It's okay to enjoy God's creation. We don't have to have an attitude of fear and trepidation when it comes to good things that God created for us to enjoy. All right, a couple of verses about that. First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17 says this in the second half of that verse. It says, God who created all things for our enjoyment. James 1, verse 17 says this, uh, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. So God has created this. Place. God gave us five senses, right? He gave us a nose, 
to smell pretty things. He gave us taste buds to taste wonderful things. He gave us feel and we can, you know, enjoy texture. He gave us, uh, you know, all the things, sight and sound to enjoy his creation. Ultimately, to have it all point back to his glory and his love for us, his majesty. So I want to challenge, some of you need to hear, if nothing else, you don't hear anything else, you need to loosen it up a little bit. You need to not let the enemy and the spirit of fear control how you view this world. But you need to be bold and courageous and say, hey, God, I want to enjoy. Here's the deal. When we don't do that, we actually nullify or limit our witness in the world and our credibility in the world. In in Genesis chapter 3, we find the story of man and and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And, And during that first moment when they were pure and they were innocent and all of that, we find that Eve does something very interesting when the serpent comes and tempts her to eat of the forbidden fruit. She adds to God's word. So the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat of that fruit? Which was true. And she said, yes, he did. He said, you may not eat of it or even touch it, lest you die. So what happened? The serpent engages in the conversation, continues kind of, you know, his seduction, his tempting of her. And then I'm sure she reached out, touched it, didn't feel anything different. Why? Because God didn't say don't touch it. God just said, don't eat it. They could have probably used it for makeup or, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, who knows, you know, dye, like, you know, maybe it was red and you could do like war paint. I don't know, whatever. The point being, she added to what God said, added extra rules and regulations. And then when things didn't seem to work out the way God said, it created confusion and an opportunity for the enemy. See what happened there? So we need to make sure, let's not be adding rules and regulations to what God said but let's dare to enjoy God's good gifts. What about the second one? Obey the law. Obey the law. Romans chapter 13, the first five verses says this. Everyone should be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority that has been established other than from God. So obeying the law, would you agree? That's probably important in Scripture. Now, for some of you, that might settle the issue. Because I know we've got you know, different layers of government and all that. Here in Colorado, we have had uh, the use of recreational marijuana for those over 21 years of age, legalized as of the beginning of this year. But we still have a federal government that says, hey, it's technically not legal, and we are not condoning it, albeit we're not going to get too much of a headache over prosecuting it. So for some of you are like, wow, okay. Is the federal government an authority that God has placed over us? Yes, I think so. I don't want to be living, I don't necessarily want Colorado to secede from the union, although maybe it could be cool in a way, but, <laughs> um, but the way we're headed, maybe not. I don't know. So the point being, our federal government, as well as our state government, are authorities that God has placed in our lives. God wants us, the Bible admonishes us and instructs us to obey the governing authorities. So for those of you that are going to make a constitutional argument that, hey, the federal government has no right limiting this versus the state, hey, that's in a different pay grade. I can't quite hang with you at that level. All I'm saying is this. Pay attention. God wants us to obey the authorities. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I suggest we obey the authorities God has placed in our lives. Uh, The third one is this. Operate soberly. Operate soberly. Now, uh, when I was in college, I operated a forklift, and that was probably a big mistake. Um, And strangely enough, I was sober 
most of the time. And I still manage to damage a lot of equipment in the lumber yard that I work. I'm sure if you've heard some of my other messages, you've heard the horror stories of, you know, units of plywood and flooring materials being dumped all over the parking lot, you know, as I turn the corner too quickly. Or bags of cement, you know, I was, I thought I was, you know, right? Like my death perception. Okay, I think I'm there. All of a sudden, concrete is just kind of like, just beautiful, like little concrete waterfalls, you know, out of the bags of quick creek. The point is, I was sober, and I was, I can't imagine if I had added an intoxicant into my bloodstream. The point is this, God's word says this, operate not just forklifts, not just vehicles, operate in our lives, operate, conduct ourselves day to day at all times soberly. And I wanted to look real quick at what those words, well, uh, what those words mean. In uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Here's the deal. What does that word mean? Okay? The word there for sober means this. Properly safety-minded, having a sober outlook that reflects true balance. It also involves this aspect, to think shrewdly. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents? It's that idea of, okay, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm, I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be informed because that's what it means to think shrewdly. Also this, the whole family root of that comes from two words. One means safe, and the other means what regulates life. Safe and what regulates life. And it's where we get the word for diaphragm, our muscle that controls our breathing. It's just this muscle that allows us to have the proper balance of inhaling and exhaling and, and doing that. That's what God's word is admonishing us to do, to be sober, to be of clear mind, to think shrewdly about things. Why? Because the end is near. Why? So that we can pray. Here's the deal. What is the opposite of that? Well, I believe it refers to intoxication. And the definition, one of the definitions I came up with for that says this, the acute state of physical... Uh, I wish I had glasses because this is where... This is where I feel a little bit like a nerd. You know what I'm saying? Because all the popular kids in high school already know what intoxication means. <laughs> there we go. Okay. But, you know, some of us are like, intoxication, um, page seven. So anyway, but here's what it says. This is the medical definition. The acute state of physical and cognitive impairment caused by drinking alcohol or being exposed to a psychoactive drug. Intoxication typically has both physical and mental effects, which can include difficulties with controlling movement, mood changes, impairment of cognitive skills, impaired judgment, or the ability to make good decisions, impulse control impairment, and changes in interpreting your surroundings or the behavior of others. Wow, a lot of things there. Man, we're messing with our mind, aren't we? When we're intoxicated, we're altering our, our, our perception of reality. We're altering the intentions of other people around us. We're altering our ability to control our own bodies. And that is the opposite of being sober. So here's the deal. Even though God's word doesn't specifically address, do not get high on marijuana, 
do not smoke a doobie in the new King James, you know, the new, new King James version, the 1914 printed in Colorado version. But it does give us principles. It says, do not be intoxicated. Do not give control of your mind, of your faculties, of your ability to make good decisions, of your ability to perceive reality accurately. Do not give that over to a chemical. That's what it means to be sober. So whether it be alcohol or whether it be a drug like marijuana that has the potential to do that, God's answer to that would be don't do it if you truly care about honoring God with your life. Here's the deal. We have to talk about what the motive is for these things because sometimes people say, well, I mean, hey, you know, why not? I mean, we could, we could just enjoy it for the taste of it, right? I mean, you know, some people have a glass of wine and they enjoy it. And they're, you know, we're not preaching a whole message about that. But here's the deal. We have to look at what the intent is. And the more research you do about marijuana the more you realize that the websites are talking about, hey, the questions are, how much do I need to have to get high? Or other articles are, hey, the the three stages of marijuana, the buzz, the high, and getting totally stoned. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, that's what they're saying. But I mean, literally, that's the point. The point that drives people is to get through, to push through to that place, to that intoxication place, to that euphoria feeling, to that place of altered reality where you feel that relaxation, you feel that calm, you feel that false sense of confidence or that altered sense of reality where the problems seem to diminish or you don't care as much because you're just not motivated to do anything about it. And God is saying, hey, I have something better for my people. So operate soberly. What about number four? I put this, bring all of you to Jesus. Bring all of you to Jesus. I believe that the reason that so many people turn to something like marijuana is twofold. Now, maybe there's other reasons. Maybe you've experimented with it or you have have a lot more experience than I do with that, and you may be able to add some reasons to this. But I believe that there's probably two primary reasons. One is boredom or the lack of purpose, and the second one is pain. Now, I want to talk about pain for a second. I believe that, yeah, we're in a society where there's so much pain, isn't there? I mean, man, divorce is rampant. People are walking the streets just grieved. I just heard from someone today that after four years of marriage, their wife said, hey, I need some space. I want a divorce. I mean, it was a crushing experience. Man, there's so much rejection. There's so much feeling of inferiority. There's so much competition. And the idea that, hey, if you can't make this happen or meet this sales quota or do whatever, then we'll find somebody who can. There's so much loneliness, isn't there? It's been called our national epidemic. And I believe that with all those things combined, there's just so much pain that people find themselves in that they're looking for a way to numb that. We're looking sometimes for a way to push that down or to just be able to forget about it for a few minutes or a couple of hours and just rest and just enjoy life for a teeny little moment, a small space in time. And I believe that Jesus in Matthew 28 was talking to people like you and me and talking to people like are sitting at our campuses right now or people even outside the four walls of our church saying this, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Bring your whole self to me. You don't have to turn to a chemical to give you a false sense of relief for a few hours. 
Jesus said this in John chapter 7, he who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give you will never thirst again. Church, Jesus is calling us as a people to model for our generation and for our nation what it looks like to know that we have someone who cares for us, that we can bring our pain and our suffering and our loneliness and our fear and our doubts and our worry and know that he is going to comfort, he's going to encourage, he's going to lift us up, he's going to love, he's going to soothe, he's going to mend those broken places. Because he cares, he wants us to bring our whole selves, our whole hearts to him. What happens when we don't do that? That's when we turn to other things, don't we? I bet if we asked and we're able to have a candid conversation with so many of the marijuana Habitual users today, we would get to the core of an issue where they don't know that Jesus is waiting with his arms open saying, bring that to me. Come to me, man. I love you. Come to me. Tell me about it. I want to hear it. Come to me. I can make you well. I can make you whole. But sometimes even we forget. Sometimes even we in the church. And we may not go to something like marijuana to solve that. Man, there's a lot of other areas that we use to self-medicate, aren't there? I mean, what about shopping? I'm not saying it's always bad. But man, if that's what we're using to dampen the pain, and we're spending on credit money that we don't have to purchase things that we don't need to create problems that we can't solve, man, it would be a lot easier to come to Jesus, wouldn't it? What about sports? Guys, we can run from reality, can't we, sometimes? And just hide in our world of sports because we don't want to face the problems that await. What about pornography to solve a broken marriage? There's so many things that we do. There's so many things that we turn to that Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. Bring your whole self to me and I will give you rest. If we do that, I believe we'll find ourselves less and less likely to turn to other things to solve those areas because he wants to be that to us in our lives. I'm going to skip ahead to number six and then come back to number five. Number six is this, expect to sacrifice for others. I believe the Bible teaches us to expect to sacrifice for others. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the deal. A lot of the debate around marijuana or even other freedoms that we have circles around the idea that, hey, what's the big deal, man? I'm not hurting anybody else. What's the big deal? I can just do this. I can just enjoy this. It's, it's helping me. And I know other people may stumble with it or may have a problem with it or it may be a bad example, but they don't even have to know. They don't even have to care. What, it's not their business anyway. And here's what I believe God teaches about that. When uh, Timothy was a young disciple of Paul, uh, they were going around and beginning to uh, have a ministry in the different churches. And uh, uh, it came to a place where they wanted to go to Israel and to Jerusalem and to minister there and among the Jewish people in Asia Minor as well. And uh, Timothy had been raised as a Gentile because one of his parents was Greek, the other was Jewish. And so, uh, so he hadn't been circumcised. And uh, Timothy and Paul ended up having a very difficult conversation about this very topic of expect to sacrifice for others. <laughs> Timothy was on the receiving end of that sacrifice. <laughs> As a grown man, you know, they say that little babies are, are uh, circumcised at eight days old in the Jewish tradition because that's when they feel the least amount of pain. But Timothy was not eight days old. 
He was much older than that. But here's the deal. He agreed with Paul to be circumcised. Why? Because he realized that that opened a door of ministry and it closed a door of offense for other people who would benefit from the gospel and from the ministry of Jesus Christ through him. And so he even went to that extent. I don't know. That's probably the most drastic thing I can think of to say, you know what? If you're willing to do that for the sake of other people, receiving everything that God has for them, then shouldn't we be willing to say no to some of the things that maybe technically, if we lived on an island, we would be free to do? We'd be okay with doing? We might even be able to kind of skim and get away from it and avoid even some of the addictive parts of it or whatever. But we see in Scripture the idea of, hey, expect to sacrifice for others. The Apostle Paul talks about food sacrifice to idols, and he says this, hey, I know that I'm free in Christ to do all things. But if my eating meat sacrificed to an idol causes someone else to stumble, I'll never eat meat again because he loved other people. Here's what I believe. If we're saying, man, it doesn't matter. What I do doesn't affect anybody else. I believe we've got a bigger problem than even the topic of this weekend because that means we're not living in community. That means we're on an island, isolated from community. We're not knit together with our family, with our neighbors, with our friends, with other people who would be and should be affected. God is calling us to live life in community, church. He's calling us to live life together so that your actions affect me and mine affect you. And it's okay, and we can agree to disagree sometimes, but we don't run from the idea that we're in this together. We should expect to say no to some things that we're free to out of the greater benefit. If we look at a generation of people, they say one in three teenagers right now has experimented or is currently using marijuana. Wow, one in three. That's insane. That's a, that's a crazy statistic. I don't know if I want to be a part of them finding legitimacy in something that's causing such a big problem in their lives. Let's come back to number four. Or number five, excuse me. Number five, First Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 12 says this, Paul writing, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I believe that this is speaking of one thing, identifying our purpose. Identifying our purpose. Saying, yeah, I'm free. I have the right to do this, but not all things are beneficial. I have the right to do this. Sure, I'll argue all day long but I will not be mastered by anything. That word beneficial means to carry together. And it's when people begin to realize that, that out of the fields or, or bringing the harvest in or whatnot, they could begin to work together and carry things together. There was more profit in it. It was more beneficial. More money was to be made when they were able to find an efficient and a good way and a smart way of doing things. That's what that word means, beneficial. Not all things are beneficial to us. But here's the deal. If we don't know our purpose... How are we going to know what's beneficial? If I'm out driving in my little dune buggy and I'm driving by this field and there's like five big units of two by fours and three huge pallets of roofing material, brand new, I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And there's like a little sign that says free. Like, oh, that's cool. Wow, isn't it nice out today? I love Colorado. <laughs> but if I'm a contractor in my pickup truck, and I've got a bunch of houses that I'm working on, and I drive by that exact same field, see that exact same lumber with a sign that says free, guess what I'm probably going to do? I'm going to turn in there and go, wow, this is going to save me thousands of dollars. What a blessing this is. It's beneficial to me. Why? Because I know what I'm doing. 
I know what my purpose is. I am building houses. Therefore, this is beneficial. I believe that the problem today among many is that we aren't always reminded of our true purpose, church. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in you by his spirit, church? Your purpose is to bring glory to God. Your purpose is to walk in relationship with Jesus, to hear him every day, to know how much he loves you, to share your life with him, to walk together, to talk together, to cook together, to play together, to work together. That is our deepest purpose. I believe that if we understand that by the spirit of God in our heart, we will begin to realize the things that are perhaps permissible or that we have the right to do but that aren't beneficial. It's not helping me hear the voice of God. It's not drawing me closer to God. It's not helping me be clear-headed and sober-minded so I can pray, so I can commune with my best friend. That's what God wants for us. As the worship teams come forward at all campuses, I'm going to have us remain sitting during this first response song at all of our campuses, and I want us just to ask ourselves, Three questions. Lest we end up like that wise man that we talked about at the very beginning, Solomon, who spent his life focusing on what is permissible, what I have the right to do, and he did all those things, only to find out at the end that it was empty, that it was meaningless, that it was a chasing after the wind. I believe God has better for us. And I believe that God wants us to ask ourselves these simple questions. Hey, God, what is it that I'm not bringing to you? God, what is it that you're wanting to be a healer to me or a comforter to me or an encourager to me and I'm not bringing it to you? Or God, secondly, God, what is that purpose? When am I most bringing glory to you? Perhaps it's when I'm other moms at the park. Perhaps it's when I'm reading a story to my kids, putting them to bed and just letting them know Jesus loves them. Perhaps it's when I'm out on the golf course or in the boardroom making money so that other people can be employed so that they can fund the kingdom of God, whatever it might be. I believe that God wants you to ask him, God, how do I bring you glory? God, what is it that I do that makes you smile? God, what is it that I do that puts joy in your heart? God wants to remind you of how much he delights in you and that your purpose is to glorify him. Last but not least, we can ask ourselves, hey, God, how can we bring a generation that is hurting, that is empty, that feels that pain so deeply? How can we bring them to the one who truly gives life and peace and joy that doesn't go away? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us, Lord. God, thank you that we can come to you and know that, God, you are calling us to yourself, Jesus, and you are uh, bidding us and you are wooing us and you are drawing us to come and take a step closer to you. And you want to speak to every person here all, at all of our campuses, those listening online. You want to speak to us by your Holy Spirit and let us come alive with the reality of who you are to us and who we are to you and what our true purpose is. God, I pray that as your people seek you, that you would speak and be faithful. And as we do that, God, that we would respond to that with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to God.